shattered parenting. Oh, I believe that God has allowed all of us to be part of a family so that we can learn about Him, about God. Because family touches us in ways that no one else can touch us. Whether it's a, a dad or a mom, a brother or a sister, uh, a son or a daughter, you know, there's more potential for, for deep love and actually for deep hurt when our family is involved. So to, to stand and preach about family can be challenging because it's, it's near and dear to my heart as well as your hearts. It can be challenging as I recognize the issues that my own family has. But I wanted to share some, some joys with you this morning. You know, uh, this, this idea of preaching about uh, a theme of being shattered uh, can be a heavy, heavy theme. And uh, we'll be preaching that for the next several weeks. But in the midst of that, I want us to find other things. I want us to see joy. I want us to find hope. So uh, I haven't had the opportunity to report on this family trip that I was able to take. But here was a joyful time for me. Recently, I, I went to California and uh, right before Labor Day. And uh, I was able to spend a couple of days with my daughter. Um, that was the first part of the trip. And she lives in a high desert plateau in California, what they call the Antelope Valley. And the Antelope Valley's probably got two major cities and uh, some small communities, maybe a, a million people in that area. And so one of the things that we did was we went to the Antelope Valley, you know, regional fair. And uh, not something that I had thought about doing. I'm not a big fair person. But uh, we went to the fair, and I swear every person from Antelope Valley must have been there that night because it was just hundreds, thousands of cars and, and thousands and thousands of people. And in the desert, high desert plateau, the air in the evening is clear as can be, the sky is as clear as can be, the sun was setting. It was really quite beautiful, especially all the lights and everything at the fair. And so Kristen and I, um, we did a couple of things. One was uh, we had some tremendous barbecue, and while we were eating the barbecue, we were able to listen to a phenomenal blues band. I don't know if any of you like blues, but I do. And uh, I tried to get my daughter to dance, and she wouldn't hear of it. Um, so uh, it was just one of those nights uh, of being with a daughter. It was, it was lovely. And then, of all things, she knew somebody there that got us front seats at the Demolition Derby. <laughs> I've never been to one. I may never go to another one, but it was so much fun to be there with my daughter. And we were laughing our heads off at the idea of just crashing cars into one another until all of them uh, quit running except for one. And the one that won was the smallest car. It was really ridiculous. It was funny, and I enjoyed that time with my daughter immensely. So that was a time of joy. And then I left there and went to Lone Pine, California, which is at the base of Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney is the highest con uh, mountain 
in the continental United States, 14,508 feet, uh, if you were wondering. And um, <clears throat> my, <clears throat> my son and a couple of friends were hiking the High Sierra Trail. Uh, they were doing 72.2 miles with a goal of finishing in, in 72 hours. <coughs> Excuse me. Unheard of. And so um, um, we didn't have contact with them. I've got a bottle of water right here. I'm fine, thank you. We didn't have contact with my son, but there was a GPS so we could kind of track where they were. So I knew when he might be coming down from the mountain. And uh, I had the opportunity to walk part of the way up that mountain and kind of hide myself with a bottle of water and wait for my son to come down. And uh, when I did, he was literally hobbling like this. Uh, his toes were all black and blue. And uh, it was amazing. They finished in 78 hours, which it's a six to nine day hike for most people. And they did it in 78 hours. He said he probably wouldn't do that again. But you know what? When I saw him in the distance, I had positioned myself so I could see the trail, and I recognized my son immediately. And when he got there, it was a father and son hug moment, incredibly emotional. He was extremely tired, and I was so thankful that I was there. And it was the joy of a father being with a son and, and being with a daughter. So those things are things that we parents treasure in our hearts, and uh, they're, they're amazing things that God has blessed us with the joys sometimes of, of family and, and children. So, um, as I was preparing for this message, um, my outline was ready on Thursday, and uh, Tom's wife, Missy, thinks I'm a hero because I usually get mine done on Thursday uh, before the other pastors, uh, and so, I was ready to preach this message. I had this outline, and I knew God had given me an outline and helped me to begin to prepare. And then Friday morning, when I got up, I slept really well Thursday night, got up Friday morning, and I looked at my cell phone, and there was a message from 3 a.m. in the morning saying that Phil said my father died of a massive heart attack this morning at 3 o'clock. And uh, immediately, uh, I began to wonder. And, and then the words that he wrote to me a little later said, uh, we are crushed. We are crushed. It was totally, totally unexpected. And uh, I want us as a, a family to be praying for Phil uh, because he's preparing to preach his own father's funeral. Um, and not not sure of his father's eternal destiny. Uh, it'll be a difficult, difficult time for him, but I, I want us as a congregation to lift Phil up uh, for that time. He called and said he wouldn't be here this morning, and I said, brother, I didn't expect you. Take care of your family, take care of yourself, and let the Lord speak to you and give you words to comfort your family and to challenge his family. So be in prayer about that. As I was driving home from the church, after I <clears throat> left, we, we were going to go pray with them, and we didn't get the opportunity to do that. And I got another message via phone. Um, 
and someone had called and said, Dave, your, your aunt has, she fell at 3 a.m. in the morning, same time, and broke her hip and shattered her wrist. And uh, this is the day, you know, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to prepare this message. I've got this great outline. And so I, I ran to the hospital. We ended up spending a significant amount of time at the hospital while my Aunt Grace went in for surgery. And I'm not complaining. This is how God works, so understand that. I got a phone call on the way home from the hospital from a good friend in Philadelphia, a young uh, pastor that I mentor, and uh, he was having some marital problems that are, have shook him up. And so I prayed with him. And, and I began to think, okay, God, I'm preaching about shattered families. There, there's some things that you must want to say or some things that you must want to do. And so I want to be open to that, Lord. And so this, I hope, is a reflection of what God was speaking to me in the midst of shattered families and uh, shattered bones and all kinds of things. There's a phrase, well, there's a couple things. I knew immediately that God wanted to remind us about himself. And he also wanted to remind me, and he's had to do this over and over again, that people are more important than sermon preparation. And I've ha I keep having to learn that lesson. And, and I thank God for that lesson. So, but there was a phrase that kept resounding in my week and in my preparation. And that phrase is, what has God wrought? Have you heard that phrase? What has God wrought? Well, <clears throat> In other words, what has God made or what has he done? It comes from Numbers 23, verse 23. And it was words of Balaam, the prophet. And, you know, Balaam was a, speaking God's words, but uh, Balaam also <laughs> was a man that was not after God's own heart at the end of his life. But he spoke these words, and the answer about what has God wrought, if you remember, somebody wanted him to curse the children of God. And Balaam said, well, what has God wrought? And he said, huh, God has wrought a people. He says, behold, a people. So as we go through this message, I'm going to use that phrase three or four times and ask the question, what has God wrought? And every time I'm praying that God will give us hope. So when Balaam, the prophet of God, says, I can't curse these people. Uh, what has God wrought? Behold a people. He's talking about a people that God would use the nation of Israel to bring his son Jesus from. And so that's the people that he's talking about. And out of that people would come a Messiah, a, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of other things the Lord reminded me about. He reminded me that the role of the preacher just like Jesus said, is to proclaim good news to people that are poor, poor in spirit and literally poor. He reminded me that we're to proclaim liberty to the captives. <laughs> a lot of people are captive in a lot of ways. We're to preach recovering of sight to the blind. We're to set at liberty the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
So the Lord has reminded me of all these things. Dave, don't just talk about shattered people. We know people are shattered. We don't have to just listen to the news and look around you. And he reminded me uh, of what Paul said. Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And so this morning I want to make sure that we hear the gospel as well. And then he reminded me of a verse that set me on fire in my life, and it still sets me on fire. And that verse you probably know uh, pretty well, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for everyone who believes. So as I preach this morning about shattered families from the book of Samuel, and, and shattered parenting, I want to remember that I'm preaching to shattered people, shattered families, people who need hope. So my prayer, God, grant us hope this morning from your precious word through the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I want us to see this morning is rejecting God's word leads to doing some things. So I'll use this phrase over and over again, rejecting God's word. When we look at 1 Samuel, we know very clearly that God is teaching that his people had rejected his word and started to disobey him. And we know that whatever, uh, when we reject God's word, it leads to doing whatever is right in our own eyes. That's an indictment from the Lord, and we're going to see four indictments this morning. Uh, doing whatever is right in our own eyes. And we talk about that in the time of the judges, but I, I've told you that it's, uh, it's in our day as well. It's true in our day. And it's true of Christians as well, that we sometimes do whatever is right in our own eyes. In fact, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read the first five verses of 2 Timothy Chapter 3. Thinking about people doing what is right in their own eyes. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Huh. So does that not... Uh, uh, show the times in our day? It, it really does. And it says in another place that people want their ears to be tickled uh, in the church. And it's true in our day. But, you know, with that opening introduction, I had to ask the question, but what has God wrought? What was God making? What was he doing? What is he doing now in our time? And, and I came to 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, remember I said 
behold a people, that's what God is doing, that we're a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So as we talk about the times that we live in, oh my goodness, it's awful. Uh, it's, you know, we see all these horrible things going on. Remember that we're a people that God has called and that God has raised up, and we're to shine as lights in the darkness, and we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. So rejecting God's word leads to doing whatever is right in our own eyes. But number two, rejecting God's word led to, and this is where we get to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you'll probably want to turn there, worthless sons who did not know the Lord. Rejecting God's word led to worthless sons who did not know the Lord. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 26. I know that's a long reading portion, and people tend to drift during that, but I'm going to challenge you to to follow closely and listen closely because it's an amazing uh, account that the Lord is teaching us from. 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. There's, this is a break. We, we've got the heavy stuff, the shattered stuff, and then we get to hear about Samuel, and you'll see a couple of these in here. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with linen, with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, 
for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. It's obvious that God's word has been rejected and this has led to worthless sons who did not know the Lord. What an indictment that is to have a son or a daughter called by God worthless and not knowing the Lord. And Eli, the priest of the temple of God, these are his children. What a slap in the face to him to have children that don't know the Lord. And it says they did not honor God's sacrifices. You know, and I'm not going to go into all the detail. If you want to check it out, you can look back in the Old Testament and see how they were supposed to take the offerings, the sacrifices, but they were not doing it the way that God instructed. They were taking the sacrifices, uh, ignoring God's instruction for their own benefit, and they were treating the offering of the Lord with contempt. They didn't want boiled meat. They wanted raw meat that they could roast. They wanted meat with fat on it. They were taking care of themselves. And they treated the Lord with contempt, his sacrifice with contempt, and they treated God with contempt. So why is that such an awful thing, what they did? Well, think about it. The offering in the Old Testament was a picture being painted by God of Jesus' sacrifice. That's what it portrays. This morning at the table, when we were at the table, we were remembering the sacrifice of the Lord, his body and his blood. And these men, they, they, contempt, they had contempt for what God was teaching. Uh, the sacrifice on the cross, they scoffed. They scoffed at it through their actions. The book of Hebrews says, beware lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's dangerous business. So these, were, these men were, they were evil in a sense, evil priests. Can you imagine going to the temple and expecting that they were going to follow God's uh, laws and rules and then they threaten you and they just take your offering and do their own thing? Who would want to go worship the Lord in a situation like that? That's a, a, an awful thing. And it, it goes on and says they dishonored his temple sexually. There was unspeakable sin in the presence of the temple of a holy God. Uh, the sin with the temple servants right there at the temple. You know, God's word reminds us, and this is for us, Today, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So they sinned against the temple of God, they sinned against their own bodies, and they sinned against other people. They dishonored his temple in an amazing way. These were worthless sons. And it goes on and says they did not listen to sound advice. <laughs> they wouldn't listen to their father. That commandment, what's the commandment? Honor thy father and thy mother. I've had to struggle with that in my life and ask for forgiveness and, and want to honor my parents and my father. 
But they had no respect for their father. They really didn't. They wouldn't listen to his sound advice. And it says, and here's the hard phrase here, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Wow. That's harsh, isn't it? Isn't that? It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Those are difficult words. I think they had less respect for their father because he was complicit in what they were doing. But I had got to this point and I had to ask that question that I promised you I'd, I'd ask. But what has God wrought? What is God doing? What is he trying to teach us? What is he making here? I think that God is teaching very clearly that disobedience and unbelief lead to death. <laughs> but, but we must remember that he's calling a people. He's calling a people out of darkness and into light for his own glory. You remember Jonah, and you remember what the Lord said he was going to do to the people, the Ninevites? He said he was going to destroy them, didn't he? He said, I am going to destroy these people. And then Jonah, God sent him to preach to the Ninevites. He went the other direction. God got his attention by uh, putting him on a boat, putting him in the belly of a well, coughing him up on the shore. And then he decided, okay, I think I'll go preach. Uh, I think God wants me to do this. But he hated the Ninevites. So he went ahead and preached. And, and I want you to see what it says in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did, he's talking about the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Well, why do I bring that up? I want you to know, you know, God never changes his mind. He's sovereign. But for us to understand what he's doing, it uses the word relented or repented. God went a different direction because the people had repented. So when I think about worthless sons or worthless daughters, I want us to know that there's hope, that, that God relents and, and he repents. And, and I thought about this. I, I was at the Illinois Youth Center this week. There were three of us there. And this message was in my mind already. And I was thinking about worthless sons. And when... We had about 30 young men at the Illinois Youth Center. And I'm sure people look at them and think, well, these are worthless sons, you know. Uh, and then God brought a clear picture to my mind as I looked at the three people that were ministering there. First of all, I looked at Tom Beatty. How many of you have seen Tom Beatty? Uh, you should see a picture of him before he came to the Lord if you think he looks rough now. And, uh, and, and I think about Tom and how many times Tom was in jail. Uh, he, he rode with a, a Harley gang, and, uh, did drugs and alcohol, and, and was in jail off and on for his... It wasn't your gang, by the way, Peggy. It was a different one. So. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was a rough character. He still looked, you know, his tat tattoos everywhere. He was a rough, rough character. And I know that his parents thought that he was a worthless son. And then I look to my right, and there's a young man by the name of Derek Polanski, who's been in my life since he was 16. And uh, 
His dad was a Vietnam veteran uh, like me, but his dad passed away when Derek was 16. Derek was in trouble. His mother worked where I worked. She asked if I could help him. And I looked at Derek, and Derek had, had just said this to the group. There was a time, he's got this big dent in his head. There was a time when he had fallen off a motor scooter. He was, he was high on cocaine and drunk. And he, his head was split open to his brain, literally. And he was telling the young man about this, that there was dirt and grass in his brain, and he thought he was going to bleed to death. And God saved him. And not only did he save him, but he's now gone to Moody Bible Institute. Uh, took him five years. I don't think he's thinking as well with that dent in his head. But he's serving the Lord. He's now the head of Youth for Christ for uh, juvenile detention in Cook County, Kane County, and DuPage County. He was a worthless son. He really was. And then I had to look at myself. When I came home from Vietnam and even before that, the things that I, I messed with, the things that I did, and the struggles that I had, I was a worthless son. And yet, God used three worthless sons to sit with this group of people to proclaim light in darkness. So there's hope. That's what God is... He, he, he wants us to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we look at these pictures, they seem overwhelming, but I want us to understand that because of what it was pointing at, the Lord Jesus, there's hope. Rejecting God's word led to a weak father who honored his sons above the Lord. I hope you're listening to that and thinking about that. What in the world does that mean? What an indictment against their father. <laughs> and yet, think about it. God chose Eli to mentor Samuel. <laughs> and he was a weak father who couldn't raise his sons right. So what had happened there? I think there was a training failure. We're responsible to bring our children up in the admonition of the Lord. And it's hard for me to imagine that Samuel didn't do that to some extent. He certainly had to train them in some things of the temple. But there must have been a training failure at some point. Because it doesn't say that they walked away from the Lord. It says they do, did not know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. And so I remind us, parents and, and others, that we have this responsibility to train our children in the admonition of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And apparently, Eli turned a blind eye. <laughs> you know, parents are are often blind to the sins of their own children. Uh, I, only, I taught for one year um, on the south side of Chicago in a kind of a rough school. And I remember one young man in particular who said some nasty things to me, and when his parents came to talk to me, they said, oh, no, our son would never do that. And, and we turn a blind eye often to our own children. 
and we're, we're afraid, I guess, to admit that it's possible that they could do something that's not right. And so I think there's some of this going on, uh, apparently from the scripture, that Eli was turning a blind eye. He wasn't paying attention to what they were doing. You know what? He was too concerned about his children rejecting him. And I asked this question, had to ask it of myself. Why are we so afraid of being parents instead of being friends to our children? You know, I think children really want a parent. You know, and we think we need to be friends, and we think being a friend means never having to say you did something wrong, never having to speak the truth and love to your kids. And so we're worried about uh, being a friend and, and losing their friendship. But when we do that, we become enablers of their sinful behavior. Where do you enable your children? Where have I enabled my children? These are tough thoughts. And you know what? We sometimes become participants in their behavior. Even as adults. Eli loved to eat the fat and roasted meat that his sons took from other people. He turned a blind eye and he got fat off of that meat, according to the scriptures. So listen to the rebuke to Eli from God in verse 29 so that you can see it in the scriptures. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel? Huh. Putting our children above God, honoring our children above God, that's what it says that we do when we don't correct them. That's pretty harsh. And you know, Eli took too long to respond to their sin. By the time he rebuked them, it was too late. And that's scary. He said that the Lord wanted to put him to death. So I came to this point, and again, I had to ask that question. What has God, what's God doing here? What has God wrought? What's he trying to teach well, he's teaching us from the account of Eli to raise up sons and daughters who know and honor the Lord. But I had to ask, is it too late for your children? Some of us have adult children, and we need to know, is it too late for my children? You know, I look at my, my wife's family, and weak parents would be uh, a pretty mild term, too mild. Her parents could have been in the dictionary under uh, the word dysfunctional. And, and I look at a family like that uh, who had parents that were not only weak, there was really no spiritual life there. But God, but God in his infinite love and grace saved all four children from that family. And most of them as adults. 
So there's hope in the scripture. The Lord is raising a people, remember? <laughs> Behold, a people, and God for his own glory and through a promised redeemer can and does save wayward children and even weak parents to be his people for his own glory. Glory be to God for that. And I want you to see that Eli turned his back on the prophet's warning. We'll see in the next and the last point that Eli apparently disregards God's warning. But brothers and sisters, I've got to say this to you and I. If there's a warning here for us to hear, let's hear it and heed it for the sake of our children and for God's sake. And finally, rejecting God's word led to, it led to a word from the Lord to those who despise him. Now there's another serious indictment. Really? Did Eli, this was a word to Eli. Did Eli despise the Lord? I don't think he, he would have said that he despised the Lord. But listen to verses 27 to 36 to fin finish our passage. Another long, long part, but listen well. Let me get a drink of water. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, this is a prophet, thus the Lord has said, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So he sets the history, uh, the Aaronic and the Levite priest that, that God had called, and he's reminding Eli, did I not give you all of this? Did I not make you a priest through your family? And then he goes on to say, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this day that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house 
shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. A word from the Lord to those who despise him, and that's how the Lord defined Eli because of how he raised his sons. He says, your descendants will die. And we're not going to turn to chapter 4, but if you turn to chapter 4, and you'll see that uh, Hophni and Phinehas died, and their father died on the same day. And he says, you'll suffer great distress. No more descendants. But we see that his promise, and here's the hope, his promise will come from a different direction. Verse 35, let me repeat it. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. There's a promise from the Lord. It's a difficult lesson that God is teaching this morning. It's serious business to be a worthless child who doesn't know the Lord. It's serious business to be a parent who honors his children above the Lord. And despising the Lord will lead to, to death and distress in this life and, and possibly in eternity in hell. But what is God wrought? What is he doing? He's always seeking a people for his glory. That's what he's doing in his word. Uh, listen to his promise. Heed it. Hear it. I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. So God rejected Eli and his sons and his descendants, but God was pointing to an immediate fulfillment in Samuel. Uh, and then Samuel, who would anoint a king after God's own heart, and then David, from whom would come a savior, Emmanuel, Jesus the Christ, God with us, who would die for the sins of the world. My sins and your sins. And he would call a people, you and I, for his own possession, out of darkness, into his marvelous light to proclaim to a dying world his excellencies. Glory be to you, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it seems like a really heavy message. I pray that there's been hope, that we look forward to the coming Savior who has come and died for us, paid for our sins. I pray, Father, that you would teach us, teach us to love our children the way that you love us. I pray these things in Jesus' name.